0: Welcome to Mutuality Matters Gender Theology for the Gospel Empowerment of Men and Women. I am Erin Monez here with my co host, Blake Dean, and we are recording from Plumwood Cottage in the beautiful campus of Barrie College. Um, Blake, how are you?
1: I'm doing well. How about you?
0: Good. I'm doing good. Um, We are excited um, about this new series, but before we jump into it, watch read or listen so we're recording this just after the new year so lots of time to dive into all three of these categories so Blake tell me what are you watching reading or listening to
1: well I watched so many wonderful movies and read so many wonderful books but my favorite movie that I've watched maybe in the last three or so years is called A Hidden Life Mm. it's still in theaters um And I think it's going to be in theaters throughout January um, and then like a limited release after that. And then eventually streaming, it's a three hour long film. So buckle up, but it's about this Austrian farmer who um, denounces allegiance to Hitler after he's been drafted um, to fight for um, him in world war two, but it's not your typical world war two kind of a list Hollywood film. It's really um, quiet. It's really thoughtful. It has far more to do. It's based on letters that um, he wrote to his wife, and his wife wrote to him as he's in jail, watching kind of how standing up for the the right thing costs something, um, and what is sacrifice, and what does um, what's the role of suffering in the Christian life? It's beautifully theological. It's mm. beautifully shot, and the score is breathtaking. Right. So, highly recommend *A Hidden Life*, directed by Terrence Malick. What about you? Oh, wow.
0: Yeah. Well, of course, we were sick for most of the holiday, So we just watched a ton of movies. And I actually got to share one of my favorite movies with a former student who had never seen it. And that is Contact. It's based on one of my favorite books um, written by Carl Sagan. But interestingly enough, the whole thing is about faith. If Mm. so for this new generation, because this is Matthew McConaughey and Jodie Foster. So it's a little bit probably before my college students time. But if you liked Arrival, if you liked that genre. I love to arrival. Right. So if, if that if that floated your boat, then I highly recommend contact. So got to rewatch that. It's an oldie bit of giddy, but it was it's just cool to get to share that with the younger generation. So I love it. So yeah, so let's um let's dive in. Because I couldn't really talk about what I was reading because I've been reading so many things. I mean, over over the course of Oh, the last couple decades, I have read so many books about dating mm. and marriage and relationships. But now, as new ones come out and my college students are reading them, I have to keep up. So, um, just so you know, listeners, we are doing a series about dating, and mm-hmm. so these are going to be um, a handful of episodes where we tackle it from different angles. But you might be a little confused because. This is not a relationship podcast, and' we're not we're not the the romance experts,
1: nor do we want to be. nor do
0: we want to be. That is not what we're doing here. So why, why would mutuality matters be tackling this? Tell us a little bit about that. Like
1: I think, and we were talking before we got on um, before we started recording that the way that we talk about marriage and dating and intimate relationships really is a hotbed, no pun intended for our gender theology um our gender theology really gets worked out implicitly or explicitly in um the way that we understand um dating and marriage and intimacy um and specifically sexual intimacy um and also because we both live and move and have our being on a college campus absolutely um and you have pastoral duties and I'm a peer um who's passionate about gender theology i watch um this happen in so many different ways so many different assumptions of what a, a male is, what a female is, but when those two come together, what that does, and then God forbid um, there be any um, influence of hookup culture, those kind of things, everything gets more complicated, but our foundation, we kind of seek for this security in our gender theology, but maybe make some too fast or too um, skewed assumptions that maybe scripture and tradition asks us questions about.
0: Absolutely. We feel that the sort of entry-level interest in romantic relationships is the starting point for so many people's um, understanding of gender theology. Brilliant. And sometimes what comes out of just our search for companionship forms these ideas. It sticks to the wall. And before mm-hmm. we know it, we've sort of tailed, we, ha- we have sort of this um, dangling theology of gender that comes in when we weren't even, that's not what we were even thinking about in the first place.
1: Well, and that's my story. A lot of my entry to gender theology, um, actually had to do with the presence of a lot of single people in my life. Mm. I, um, am a triplet. So I was raised by an army of people. And some of those army, some of that army were single women. And I remember, um, from probably like middle school or high school, um, singleness wasn't really discussed. And we do intend to talk about singleness because we think it's a sacred, um, uh, not a deficiency, but it is a, um, a real vocation in a real space. And we want to recognize our brothers and sisters that sit there. Um, But I was raised by so many single people that I literally was questioning the assumptions and single women. So I I was questioning the assumptions that would be placed before me about maleness and femaleness, because it was always in the context of dating or marriage. And I'm going, that's awesome, but that doesn't work for this person. So what does Jesus have to say to this person? So for me, that's where I started too. And we, acknowledge from the outset that this is a tricky topic and we um, invite feedback because number one, I'm a 21 year old. Um, (laughs) And, and, and also like both of us have only ever lived our experiences as well, as well as the conversations we get to have with others. And it's a tricky topic for a multitude of reasons, right? Number one, it's so key to Western life. Um, No matter what we say about it is so central Um, to most of Western Christianity and what's happening in youth groups and singles mingle ministries. Um, And we'll talk about this a little bit more, but it's foreign to scripture. Dating is not a category that is familiar to scripture, nor is it a category that's familiar to church tradition. Um, So we use what we understand about marriage to come back on this category that is completely foreign Mm. to the basis of wisdom for us. So we understand it's a tricky topic and that's one of the reasons we want to talk about it specifically because the implications it has for gender theology both practically and abstractly is huge.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So so that that is a little intro that hopefully helps you understand how we're tying this all together. So we're going to be focusing these episodes specifically on the things that we feel will directly or even latently connect to discussions about gender theology and and other stuff is gonna get roped in. We're gonna kind of lump in things because it would it would feel sort of piecemeal to leave them out. But we hope that everything that you get from this is is beneficial and helpful to you and we hope you engage us on social media with your questions. We're gonna be putting stuff out there about this series and we definitely wanna hear from you. So but before we dive into our our emphasis for today, I just have to say in preparation for this series, I went to Amazon And I typed in two words into the search, Christian and dating. That was it. Just those two words. Oh, man. And just looked at the books that popped up. And I mean, oh, gosh. Colorful.
1: Colorful. Colors, I'm oh, sure. Oh,
0: and it not just the artwork that's cringe worthy. It's it's also like some of the titles. But I was also amazed to see that in like the top ten is Elizabeth Elliot's Passion and Purity. Yeah, which I mean that's that goes back way back in the day. Now Joshua Harris's book, surprisingly, is. Not on here, even as a used book, because obviously it's not being printed anymore. Um, but uh, the Ice Kiss stating goodbye is um, kind of suspiciously absent from this list. But I will tell you that working in student ministry for the past 15 years, I've never been able to escape this topic. Hmm. Never been able to escape this topic. And I, I actually had a student that I talked to not just a few months ago, and they were like, I. I'm a Christ follower. I want to be faithful to Christ in in what I'm doing. I'm trying to date. I'm trying to date well. There are just so many voices, right? There's All just said. there's so many voices, and and I and I I feel for this because it, it's not even just now. Of course, now we're saturated with information more than ever. But even when I was a teenager, we had this multitude of. <laughs> You know, people you know, kind of talking at us from different places, different leaders, uh, different books and pastors and and parents and and cultural narratives all mixed in. And so today, what we really want to do is discuss what we're kind of calling the the social science versus theology approach to this topic because I feel very much, and this is just coming from my experience with students, um, that one of the biggest problems I see, in this discussion boils down to the fact that we have done a very poor job of taking the time to really designate what is theologically central to like an informed by scripture and what is is really more in the realm of the social sciences sociology and psychology because uh, the behavioral sciences actually give us a lot of great practical advice but it doesn't necessarily mean that god has ordained said mm. advice to be like a, a yes or no because a lot of students are wondering am i pleasing god mm. And some people are just making up, we get this legalism where people are making up rules for dating because they are trying to figure out how to please God, but it's not actually theologically sound. It's from the social sciences. And they just, they 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 don't, there's no, it's all mud in the water.
1: So give me an example of a way that maybe our theological vision has been muddled by social sciences. Um, and then another question I would have for you is, Isn't interdisciplinary conversation important in this, but how do we keep those boundaries without allowing our understanding of dating to be informed or overly realized by the social sciences? So what do you mean that it's been influenced by the social sciences and what does that cost us?
0: Yes, absolutely. So interpersonal relationships, as we understand them, are very, like so much of what we do and how we operate in this culture we live in is bound by culture, history, geography. So, um, how we are doing things here in America and how we understand marriage and the processes to find a mate are very different from like our counterparts in India, mm-hmm. or somewhere, you know, in a, in a different part of the world that is engaging in a completely different culture with a completely different history. Um, so there there's a need to understand those um, social science influences. and And sometimes we just get good advice about about communication about compatibility about how to enter into conflict some of these things come out of how we understand interpersonal relationships because the social sciences have said hey we like for example the statistics still are consistent about how cohabitation does not actually bend towards success in long standing relationships yeah. that's that's not something necessarily that pops from scripture now, scripture, I think, will will attest to it. And I it. think, yeah, you can affirm it with uh, the ethics that that we see sort of underlined in scripture. But we get that from social science. Like that's one of those things. The other thing, and this is the big thing I want to parse today, is that marriage is a holy institution. Mm. It is it is layered with um, eschatological symbolism and importance. It is. It is divinely used. Um, I don't even want to say analogously because it's it's used so much in scripture to help us understand our relationship to God that it is just layers and layers. There's a theology of marriage that just we could never encounter in one podcast or one book. It is not a social construction. It is a holy institution Mm -hmm. divinely gifted to us by God. Now, dating... Is not <laughs> dating is a is a social construction that is formed out of other social constructions like adolescence and all of these things are extremely new. Um, in in her book, uh, The Redemption of Love, actually, Carrie Miles does this really well, where she outlines. The fact that when we moved from an agrarian society where the seat of everything was the home, which is the context in which scripture Mm -hmm. was written, to an industrial society where people had to actually leave to pursue Mm -hmm. vocations and go to work, the dynamics of family and gender roles changed. And we understood the difference from childhood to adulthood differently. For, For the vast majority of how we've existed as humans, you're a child and then you're an adult. Usually there's a ritual bar mitzvah of some kind that in in every culture had this for thousands of years, only in modernity, only at sort of the change of the industrial revolution, how we begun to see what we consider adolescence. Adolescence didn't exist for most of human history as a social construct we use when we started adding things like higher education and we started making child labor laws and there was all these um, shifts that were happening specifically in the West. And this is where dating comes from. Mm -hmm. Dating has never been one thing. It is constantly evolving, which is another thing because when we talk about this in Christian settings, we tend to talk about dating as if we're trying to recover, like this pure idea of what Mm -hmm. dating has always been and was always meant to be. And that just doesn't exist. Whatever that is, is also a social construction that doesn't necessarily come from anywhere but culture.
1: So I hear... I completely hear that and I completely agree with that, but I also hear some um, dear peers of mine and I've had these conversations that would say that's so awesome, but you did say that marriage is a holy and sacred institution. And if we're understanding dating as being um, the precursor to marriage, why would we not pull some of those holy and sacred things backwards from this thing that is so um, substantiated by scripture into this thing that is foreign to scripture, but it's not sinful. So why would we not just pull those things backwards? What would you say um, to that? And then I guess what is the purpose of marriage is the implicit question under that question.
0: Absolutely. And I think it's fantastic um, because in some ways you do have to reverse engineer this. And and there's some authors, even some authors that have put out some some books recently that do this, where they start not with singleness and dating. They start with marriage and work backwards because in a sense, dating is a vehicle, hmm. and as long as we know what it is, as long as we call it what it is, there's no problem with taking what this vehicle is getting us towards and saying, okay, with the destination in mind, how is this process? Like the destination informs the journey. So, if marriage is the destination, if we are moving towards that um, that holy place that God has established, then that's of course going to inform Mm -hmm. dating but what we often do is instead of saying dating is a framework just like arranged marriages Mm -hmm. are a framework and actually to be fair arranged marriages are actually what most of the world operates off so like still doing yeah we're still a bit in the minority with how we understand dating but um for the vast majority of the world we we all have some vehicle Mm -hmm. whatever it is we all have developed some vehicle and these things in and of themselves are not right or wrong and so when I read a book about dating written by a Christian and they're trying to take dating and make it in and of itself and baptize it yes exactly exactly it's not that we can't have holy pursuits in this vehicle in this framework towards marriage and Certainly we have to start with marriage. Otherwise we have no idea what we're doing or where we're going or what we're doing it for, but it's dangerous. And this is the danger I see because I see students all the time who are desperately trying to date in a way that they, that will please God. But the way we have written these books, we don't take the time to clearly make these distinctions. And so an author might write um, something about dating that um, they consider good advice they throw in um, a bible verse to proof text it and then my students think it's gospel Mm. and they think there is a way there's there's a dating format there is dating um there's a baptized you know dating version and that's what makes god happy and if you don't then then god's not happy and they drive themselves nuts with these uh, minutia rules. And they're all over the map.
1: Well, and not to derail the conversation from the topic at hand, but this also has an underpinning of our understanding of God's will, right? There's this understanding that there is a, um, there is one clear um, focused path and I have to find it. Yes. Rather than God being Emmanuel we just left the Advent season, God being with us and dwelling us as in the Holy Spirit, leading and guiding us as journeying with us. Instead, there's this understanding, both in dating and in vocation and other layers um, that I find that I've held and I see a lot in my peers and the people that I care deeply about, is there's this understanding that God's will is specific and it's my job to find it instead of knowing that God dwells within me and is journeying with me.
0: Yes. Absolutely, and I mean, and and some of some of the maladies that come with dating are remedied very simply by us actually having a better um, a better uh, narrative for marriage and what we are what we are working towards. I think students. Um there's there's an author that talks about this that I think is brilliant. He's like we we see dating as a status, but is, dating is a process. Mm. So people so much of of what we do decision making, well, in our lives in general, but specifically with relationships is very fear-based. And it's fear-based because we are lonely, right? Yeah. And and we are so desperately lonely. So we need to get into dating status and we might just sit in that holding pattern indefinitely. Mm. I see so many students, and this is this is the formula I see. Okay, I'm just going to lay this out for you. Here's my, here's my 101. Two people find that they are both attracted to each other and both enjoy having time together. Now, if one of those things is not on par, you're not dating. So if one person <laughs> is attracted to the other, but the other person's not, sorry, no dating. So like baseline. That is
1: good advice. Right.
0: <laughs> baseline to have a dating relationship. We start with, I like you, I like you, I'm attracted to you, I'm attracted to you. And then we never evolve. Mm-hmm. They stay there until one of those things changes. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't like you as much as I thought. Oh, I like this other person better than you. Oh, I'm not as attracted to you. And so what we do in between gets mm-hmm. lost. And I see students just mimicking what they've seen on, on television and in other places. They have no idea what they're doing or why they're doing it.
1: And if I could circle back and do a quick caveat, I think w- what you said and what the, the author that you're referring to said... Um, about the fear of loneliness, Mm. I think an important layer to that is our failure as the church to be the family of God proper. Yes. Right. So we, and I mean, going back to the social sciences, we see that this is um, the upcoming generation as well as my generation is more anxious, more depressed and more lonely than ever before because with individualism and autonomy, Comes a lot of loneliness, absolutely. Um, and so, as the as the church, I think we've maybe bought into some of that individualism and autonomy, maybe too much. Well intentioned, but maybe too much. And we're um, to be single is no longer um, to mimic the life of Christ in his singleness in his celibacy, right. but instead is a deficiency and a life sentence to loneliness, rather than another way to. Imitate and image Christ in the family of God. Absolutely, that is the church proper.
0: Yeah. So when we get to our, we're going to do another session where we talk specifically about singleness, and we're going to deep dive into this stuff. So important, but worth worth mentioning here because you might be like, okay, I thought this was about gender. When are we
1: going to talk about? You will never get me to shut up about singleness. (laughs) No,
0: never, never, never. It's we. It's so important. We got to talk about it. But um, but I do want to say this because if we talk about what marriage is, marriage is not a consumer enterprise right say it again marriage is not consumer enterprise and what happens and this is where it gets down to the gender theology friends is men and women should not treat each other as products to consume and that's Mm -hmm. a lot of what is happening in our efforts at romance and and that bleeds into our marriages and dating so i get it dating's one big job interview I, i i use that phrase all the time because it is an evaluation process. It's an evaluation process. The whole time you are trying to determine fit, you're trying to determine compatibility, you're learning things, you're gathering information. Yes, but that doesn't mean there's a difference between an evaluation process and a consumer enterprise. Mm. And the consumer enterprise, I think, is driven by fear, Mm -hmm. loneliness, and and, to be honest, lack of identity.
1: And self-absorption. Not malicious, but I think... The difference between the two and to, to say that it's an interview process is not to make it sterile because there's a way to do that for for all of my peers and for myself. Um, I'm in a committed relationship and the way that I do it, I want to please and glorify God. That's not a bad thing at right. all. So, And you can do that prayerfully, right? Yes. But knowing that God is there with you, indwelling you with the Holy Spirit, he is God with us, instead of me trying to find this magical path that I may or may not discover, and God's playing hide and seek with me, mm-hmm. but God is with me. And so, the difference between a consumer mentality and a prayerful um, process mm-hmm. is one is about, is actually, one is actually about the process of getting to where you're going, and the other is a product of culture, sexual corruption, yeah. and quite frankly, um, a devaluing of each other as men and women. Exactly. So when we're talking about
0: the, like the purpose of marriage and the telos of male Mm. and femaleness, Mm -hmm. and then this is where we kind of want to go. Um, let me give you just a little anecdote that helps demonstrate where, how God sort of flipped the switch on this for me. Um, so, so Mike and I were engaged and I end up in the kitchen of these two wonderful people who are marriage counselors and I'm, I'm staying at their house in Nashville and in the evenings we're talking and, um, Dave says to me, "Aaron, why are you marrying Mike? And I I, I give him a nice summary, sort of our dating experience and, you know, the parts of that process. And he says, okay, yeah, that sounds great. And then he says, let me ask you a different question. What is the purpose of marriage? Hmm. And I said, well, I mean, marriage, and I start kind of going into it, and I find my way to this sort of missional quality that Mm -hmm. I always kind of knew deep down that, that really marriage is a city on a hill. It is an example of Christ as, as groom and church as bride, where it's a picture of the gospel whereby we're on mission to use this union to bring others to Christ and to keep drawing each other closer and closer to Christ. So then Dave comes back and says, that's great. So why are you marrying Mike? Mm. And that's when it clicked. Yeah. And that's when it clicked for me where I was like, I am marrying Mike because we are partnering Mm -hmm. in the gospel and going on mission together, committing to each other in this enterprise, not because he's the one or I'm the one, but because Jesus is everything. And no matter what we do, we just want to, we just want to point people to
1: Jesus together. Absolutely. I love what the church of England actually says about this is um, quote, marriage is a gift of God in creation through which husband and wife may know the grace of God. Yes. Right. So it's, Christ between us and among us and in the union of husband and wife mm-hmm. becoming one becoming one in Christ right I yeah. think going back to ephesians 5 is um obviously one of the biggest te- marriage texts um, of them all and so what is marriage marriage it's exactly what we said it's an image of Christ in the church but Paul himself admits he goes But this mystery is profound, but I'm telling you that it is an image of Christ in the church. Mm. It is the two becoming one flesh in this mysterious way. Um, And I think holding space for that mystery amidst the grace that is being administered is so important. I mean, historically, our Catholic brothers and sisters have said that marriage is a sacrament. And there's... We can disagree theologically on that, but I do think there's something really beautiful about the space that that holds for mystery, Yeah. right? They're like, this is a sacrament. This is an outward and visible sign of an inward and invisible grace, and we only know that it should be faith-filled, it should be given with free consent, it should be indissoluble, um, and it should be fruitful. But other than that, it is a mystery beyond compare. And we can go back and forth on the... I have my own things with the sacramental view of marriage, but I think there's a beautiful space to hold Mm -hmm. the mystery and to continue the thing that I think a sacramental view of marriage gives us is it doesn't make it about Aaron and Mike primarily. Right. It makes it about Christ Christ. and the church. Exactly. And Aaron and Mike participating in that reality that is already real. Yeah.
0: You join the greater story. Absolutely. And and to be fair, because we'll dive into this more, but it's worth saying now, singleness is the exact same calling, exact same mission. And this is like we are on mission for the gospel, and we do it with men and women, sometimes married to each other, sometimes just alongside of each other. But what's beautiful about what happened in Genesis, and of course there's the cultural mandate, you know, be fruitful and and multiply um, and fill the earth, is that there's a direct correlation between that and the Great Commission and Matthew to go and make disciples. Because the point of having children Mm -hmm. is not to just create little tiny consumers of products it is you know it's it's like god wasn't telling them go have babies because you know babies are great it was because you will raise them up to be followers of me like parenthood is the ultimate discipleship discipleship. right (laughs) it's discipleship which means that when you look at be fruitful and multiply and go and make disciples everybody's given the same charge Mm -hmm. whether you're married or not so if you're married it's that charge if you're not married it's that charge but men and women have to do this together and i think
1: Again, I can hear listeners going, if I was listening to this podcast, I'd be like, all right, when are we going to talk about gender, right? (laughs) Right. Um, But I think this is an important framework because what I will say are the missteps that I see and the things that break my heart the most about watching kind of uh, my brothers and sisters date among each other and try to do it really well. But I think misstep is a loss of the understanding of where you're going and this idea that like we're all on the same mission. Yes. Right? Yes. We, whether you are single or whether you are going into marriage and in an engagement season, walking into marriage or you've been married for twenty years. We are all on the same mission. Externally, it just looks different. It's yes. a different vision.
0: Exactly. Exactly. So so knowing that then greatly informs what we're doing dating. Right? This this it now should. it completely shapes, okay, I am looking for a partner for whom I am going on mission f- for the gospel, it sh- it reshapes how we how we go about the process. It reshapes the questions we ask. It reshapes what we're looking at. And it breaks down, I think, some of the cultural leaks that have come in because a lot of our Christian dating mm-hmm. looks a lot more secular than it really should. And it makes
1: us more prayerful. If yeah. we're looking for a partner, we're going, okay, Lord, what is this the person that you have? Not the one, but is this a person that you... Um, will unite me with to go on mission for you. I think it's yeah. a complete, it's slight, but it is a game changer.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So we we are um, looking at this and what I want to do now is is leave a couple of um, tidbits with the implications of what mm. we've just sort of set up based on, and I'm going to use as a framework, some of the just like terrible um dating rules like christian dating rules that i've heard over the years from students that i think are just are just awful so i'm gonna kind of like i'm sweating use these anecdotally to respond because um because what we just said really informs um some of these what i I think are just like common pitfalls so i can't tell you how many times i've seen students date people who are in no way spiritually compatible with them like just do not share their spiritual priorities, a love of the gospel, but they 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 have a loophole by saying, but they're a Christian. He or she is a Christian. And and somehow or another that makes it all okay because as long as we're dating Christians, we're okay. And my thing is do not do this. Mm. Do not date Christians.
1: Date people who love Jesus if There's my a difference. if my father said anything to me growing up and any piece of advice stuck i heard blake dating is not a ministry more than anything else yeah. dating is not a ministry to make to convert people to make people stronger in their faith yes we are all on mission but we don't need to be doing that in our intimate relationships absolutely and and dating and especially marriage is going to
0: involve your sanctification process so like there's going to be there's going to be all these things but you are looking for someone who has these like when we're talking about compatibility and fit the most essential priorities Mm -hmm. and we tend to know that some of the big things are like oh he wants 20 kids i want zero that's a big red flag of compatibility oh he wants to live in the arctic i want to live in africa that's a big flag for compatibility and yet we don't apply the same thing to our faith, Mm. because we have this loophole, oh, but they technically fit this category of either they, oh, but they believe in God, or there's like, there's some sort of shallow sort of Mm -hmm. designation. And I see people just making this excuse as if it's sort of this Christian loophole they can use when they know that this person is not actually Mm -hmm. someone who seeks after the Lord. And sometimes that is also revealing of our own pursuit of Christ. Completely. But even if you're, you're trying to date somebody who's at least in the ballpark of where you're at, go for that.
1: And also I think reveals to a circle back to a point earlier, it also reveals that fear of loneliness. It re- like yes. to, yes, to that fear of being single, um, that maybe we don't, we don't have ecclesial communities that are robust enough to allow us to be single, um, And then for some of us to find those people and for some of us um, to image Christ in that really sacred and um, holy way. Yeah. Um, One I hear a lot um, is, um, here's the situation. Let me tell you a story. There is a, a male who is attracted to a female, who likes this female, who would like to be in a relationship with this female. Right on. Goes and talks to all of his friends about it right on. We love seeking counsel. Community is important. And then goes and expresses these feelings to this female. Um, And maybe the female says, you know what? I'm, that's, thank you so much, but no. Then the next thing that happens is, well, I'm going to pursue her. Now, there's some scripture that may or may not, um, lead us here, Jacob and Rachel, right? We see in scripture, this narrative of this man pining for this woman, um, believing that they are meant to be, it's a really romantic scene, um, waiting and working and, um, and living up to her father's expectations to get there. What we forget is it was an arranged marriage situation, an arranged marriage society, it was more about pleasing the father than pleasing the potential bride. <laughs> oh,
0: yeah. And Lot is a jerk and a swindler. And then poor Leah, like, sweet Leah. She gets like thrown out of the whole
1: thing we because love he loves Rachel so much. So, yeah. It's, it's so, so, but, many but because things. we have that, we then have this idea that's like, oh, this romantic ideal and maybe biblical idea that pursuit is the way to go. And it's really well intentioned. But what I see happen a lot. And this is where our gender theology, I think, works itself out is because we view the man as the key initiator and as the act, the active partner, um, the female's consent is obscured. Mm-hmm. Um, so if she has said, thank you so much, I'm not interested. Um, then the pursuit is, it often ends up practically looking like continually putting the, female in the situation to have to say no no thank you no yeah and And then both fine line and then what is a a level of um harassment and crossing yes emotional boundaries yes
0: and this and this also comes like we we have like that story in scripture to sort of affirm what we're hoping but this message this is like every other rom-com right Mm. this is like we have perpetuated an entire like stack of generational stories where women's no is supposed to be seen as yes and you just have to try a little harder. And that's what we've been telling men for decades now. And and suddenly we have all these women saying, Please respect when I say no and we have men crossing these lines because they think it's the romantic I thing. I think to of
1: do. I feel like this this response looks far more like the notebook where he's hanging on the ferris wheel saying i will drop down off this ferris wheel unless you go on a date with me Right, and is that cute no no that's that's a threat terrifying yes and emotional manipulation now our brothers and if our sisters are in this situation too yeah i just want to say like it's so well-intentioned it really really it is. is yeah however i think when we have um a higher view of where we're going of these this partnership in the gospel. And we'll talk more about what that partnership looks like um in the next couple of episodes. But when we um when we have this view of this partnership, it requires both people to be enthusiastically a part of the mission together. Yes. Right?
0: And and it doesn't mean that, like, for example, when Mike and I first started dating. We weren't friends yet. We didn't know each other all that well. We'd hung out a little bit, but there wasn't this spark of attraction. There wasn't this like this hefty sort of, oh my gosh, this person, there wasn't all of this, um, this, this emotional whirlwind. Really. I knew enough about him to know that there were certain things that were like good. Like I I knew where he stood in his faith and I didn't know much else about him. And so dating became a way to get to know him. So Mm -hmm. we're not saying it has to be Mm -hmm. this like, oh my gosh, like you know, that the consent has to come from a place of, um, of sparks and, and, um, fireworks, but it does have to be consent. <laughs> it does that we, we cannot, we have to speak out against this romanticized, um, condoning of like stalking.
1: Because otherwise we look far more like emotional hookup culture yes, than like a process to glorify God in the process. And we've, well-intentioned but we've obscured the thing that we want more than anything which is to please God right okay. yeah um so how do we make it about the other person that's what the gospel teaches us mm-hmm. in general which yes. is how do I lay down my rights for you that's true of you and I just living and moving and having our beings as brothers and sisters in Christ yes and me and my girlfriend yes right absolutely so um yeah that's one that I I think is really well intentioned but um maybe outside the realm of where the gospel would lead us.
0: And and kind of uh, spinning off of that is something, and this, to be fair, this is not necessarily bound by Christian dating culture. This is sort of dating culture in general. If I had a dollar every time a young lady said to me, oh, but if you only saw how he was with me when just the two of us are alone, like, I know he seems kind of like a jerk, but like, he's so sweet and wonderful to me. Like, if we're talking about like the toxic emotional mm. license we have given to people in dating and how some of that permeates. I mean some of the, some of that's in, in the pursuit um, pushing boundaries part and the other is in just this idea that that you're that you should be okay with this really troubling behavior of this person and when your friends see it saying just dismissing it and saying oh no 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 but but he's so different with me. if he is different, or if she is different when they are alone with you, then it's duplicitous. It's not actually making it okay, and this is where we get back to why community is and, so important. And
1: Scripture leads and directs us. If Scripture, if dating is a foreign category to Scripture, mm-hmm. community is not.
0: It's not. Yes, exactly.
1: Um, and to live within community, to live within the family of Christ, um. And that means having to be held accountable to my brothers and sisters in Christ, right? Um, To have to have my relationships amongst the body of Christ, not outside of the body of Christ. Because if this dating relationship ends up becoming um, a marriage, you are imaging Christ in the church. So we need to be a part of the body of Christ. Absolutely. The church. Catholic.
0: Community is important. And this is one of the things we've lost in dating being our vehicle in the Western world. Whereas in you have an overabundance of community Mm. input with arranged marriages, (laughs) you have this dreadful lack of it, this privatization of the process in um, dating. And if we can find a happy medium between the two, I think we find something closer to getting at what we hope for healthy marriages. Um, So one of the, one of the other extremes. So if, if one extreme is, but he or she is a Christian, sort of the opposite extreme of that is language around, well, I just don't know if I'm looking for a strong spiritual leader. I don't know if he or she is being a good, strong spiritual leader. And here's, here's what I have to say about that, because I don't want to condemn the fact that you are definitely looking for someone who has an active and engaged, uh, rooted faith, Mm. but This is where we get some of the blurring of the lines. We think that in order to do dating in pursuit of healthy marriages, we start playing house and we start Mm -hmm. recreating things that are really reserved for marriage (laughs) in a dating relationship. And people are trying to like, like try out each other based on how they understand submission and leadership and gender roles in a dating relationship. And I have seen nothing but confusion come Mm -hmm. from this Um, because People don't even know what they're saying when they... Because I'll ask them, I'll say, okay, when you say spiritual leader, what do you mean? Or when you say submission, what what do you you mean? mean? Exactly. And these are terms, and this is another conversation to have, so we're not going to have a chance to get into it here, but let me just say this. Um, When we are evaluating each other, especially in terms of their faith. I don't, I think we should move away from this language because Mm -hmm. even if submission and leadership is, is something that is a part of what you look for in a marriage, it is not necessarily the rubric and the language you should be using because this person is not your husband, is not your
1: wife. Mm -hmm. You are not in a covenantal conversation. You are not
0: in a covenantal situation. It is dating. The exit door is always open and you you need to understand that this is a process. It is not the marriage. So move away from that because it provides nothing but confusion. And I think it is unfair. Mm -hmm. It unfairly puts people in a place where they feel like they have to be something that they just aren't yet. And
1: it, um, it overly emphasizes, I think some really damaging understandings of maleness and femaleness, because if, if the traditional interpretation of, Um, scripture passages like Ephesians 5 is held in marriage, but also in your dating relationships where the man is the spiritual leader. Um, What ends up happening, especially in that dating relationship where that door is always open, is he's not able to be emotionally vulnerable because that's not being a strong leader, right? Right. He's not able to say, I actually have questions about that, or man, I'm really feeling the absence of God's voice right now. This really scares me. And then likewise, um, the females, if they are to be the submissive counterpart, aren't really getting to um, explore their own relationship with Christ while they're in the season of dating, while they're dating this person because their spiritual life is being subsumed by that exactly of this male who is not their husband. Yes. And I, you and I both, and this will be a future podcast, um, have some pretty massive qualms with, um, the initiator leader versus submitter and, um, inferior. Yeah. Rhetoric. And, um, I fully anticipate that we will be doing an exegesis of Ephesians five in the near future. But if you have questions about it right now, I really, really recommend you guessed it, Cynthia Westfall's Paul and Gender. <laughs> there it is. Her chapter on Ephesians five, I think, is really thoughtful and really helpful. She doesn't give um, this is the only interpretation, but she really, I think, makes a clear argument about what Paul's doing and maybe some different ways to understand it in a way that's really faithful to Scripture and tradition.
0: Absolutely. Okay, Blake Dean, I've got one more for you. And this one, this will we'll wrap up on this. Okay, I'm ready? Guard their heart. Guard their heart. Guard it. Guard it, friends. Now, I'm literally quoting scripture here, which is why this one I think is so deeply embedded mm. because literally, you know, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life, which is a really good verse. Let's just say it. We're not knocking that. That is wisdom. But the problem, the problem comes, we have absolutely no idea what that means. We toss it around in dating. We weaponize it mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. And, and we use it, I think, as sort of churchy language that is, is substitution for, like, intentionality.
1: Mm-hmm. And and I think just at the top of this conversation, I think there's two things I noticed. Number one, um, scriptures, and correct me if I'm wrong, but scriptures' use of that is guard your heart. Not guard yes. the other Their person's heart. heart. No. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's already an inversion of um, the object versus um, the actor yes. in that. Um, but. Secondly, this goes back to the leader-submitter mm-hmm. conversation. And also, thirdly, I just see this so much of the time be a, an avenue for shame about things that have been done, um, especially, and we'll get into this in the next episode, but especially sexually. Yeah. It's like, well, you didn't guard her heart. And while um, both of us uphold the sexual ethic of the kingdom of heaven, we also yes. uphold the place for grace yes. and forgiveness of sins. And I think um, I see this in the conversations I have far more often. Um, being realized in um, shame-filled ways, rather than leading to the foot of the cross. Absolutely,
0: and I and I think the the way we can take the principle that we're trying to draw here is one author uses this language, and I really love it. It is moving from ambiguity to clarity. Mm. Right. This is what this is. What we've lost, I think, the evolution of dating that we were talking about has gone to a dangerous place, um, and we understand that dangerous place is hookup culture, and Mm. part of that is the reversal of this process. Instead of going from ambiguity to clarity, we we live in ambiguity. We start with ambiguity and we stay ambiguous. We stay disconnected. We stay in isolation. We don't want to clarify. Again, that fear driven comes to this fever pitch height where we try to protect as much Mm -hmm. as possible. So we're not going to label anything. We're not going to clarify anything. Probably one of the most standout points of, of something that I can recall from my own relationship is when Mike and I started dating Um, we just didn't know each other Mm. all that well. We had no idea really where this was going or what was going to happen. But I was at a place where having dated in college, I suddenly realized that I had not been as intentional or seeking clarity as I should have. And each time I wanted to do better and better. And at the point where we started dating our very first date on the way home, I said, why do you want to date me? And we got into this conversation that basically came to, look, I am looking for someone to marry. I don't know if it's you. Hmm. It may be you. It may not be you. But I'm not looking for a prom date. I'm not looking for a good time. I'm not looking for a hookup. I am looking for a marriage partner. That's what we're doing here. And that set the precedence for everything. Mm -hmm. Suddenly, there was this clear understanding of where we were going. And guys, it doesn't have to be like, we don't don't have to be afraid of these Mm -hmm. conversations. To be honest, most of us desperately want something a little clearer, that doesn't mean you have to have all the answers. That doesn't mean you have to like have it all sewn up neatly, but expectations have to be managed along the Mm -hmm. way. Otherwise, where are we going?
1: And to be authentic and honest with one another in this intimate relationship that you're having, even though it is this kind of mediated space, it is still a really vulnerable space. So being honest when you don't know, being honest when you do know, being honest when you're scared, being honest when you're excited. Um, And all of these things are not But I think it goes back to preferring the other person and sacrificing rights. Um, That relationships are not, we do sound like a relationship podcast, but I think it's important. (laughs) So everybody can calm down and send me an email later. Um, But in relationships, we're not trying to seek an ideal. We're trying to honor and glorify God by preferring the other person and sacrificing our rights for them. Yes. Right? So in the process of to be the most charitable to our brothers and sisters that are concerned about guarding each other's hearts. I think that is a valid concern. If it is, I want to love and serve the person that is in front of me within yes. the boundaries that are given to me by scripture to glorify God by loving and serving and showing up in humility, honesty, and giving grace and mercy that I have been shown. And that is yeah. the gospel centered way we do relationships. The problem, and this is what we've been talking about, is we're trying to strive for this ideal, whether it be baptized or written by Nicholas Sparks. We're striving for this ideal rather than saying, oh, wait, the gospel actually may also be the answer here. It is simple, but it is a high order, even in its simplicity.
0: It's a big amen to that because I, I talk with students all the time and I'm like, guys, dating is a low percentage game the more people you date, the more likely that these relationships are going to end and probably in 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 hurt. But that doesn't mean we don't still succeed in A, discerning whether or not this is a person we'd like to marry. If they're not, you succeeded, congratulations. Mm. But also in drawing people closer to Christ. Because we can do that and be in relationships with people we don't marry and still draw and them And learn to about Christ. yourself. Yes, I've please. never
1: learned about my selfishness more than being in an intimate relationship, right? <laughs> yes. I've never learned how quickly I moved to anger or self-absorption or pretension than in those moments, right? Yes. All those things are gifts, and I don't want to obscure any of that. Yeah. But just to say, you know what? We're still on mission. Singled, married, dating. Yes, or anything in between.
0: Exactly. So at the end of the day, that all matters, and if we take these things into account, I think we will date better. Now, there's better ways, there's worse ways. There's a lot of nuances to the how and mm-hmm. and best practices, and that's somebody else's
1: podcast somewhere along and the way. And I think if I could take this moment, I don't think that's a podcast. I think that is a place for pastoral counsel. Okay. Yes. Absolutely. I think. Yeah. Go to the people that are shepherding you, the men and women that are in the churches or in the ministries that you are involved in. And that is a place where people that know you and get to know you and get to give you counsel and wisdom. That doesn't mean you don't get to um, fire back. I've been in plenty of discipleship sessions where I've asked some challenging questions, but I think that's a place for pastoral counsel and not a place for you or I to give abstract knowledge of people far away Um, So I say seek pastoral counsel on that and seek, it sounds so cheesy, but it's because it's the gospel and it's simple and true. God is God with us and among Mm -hmm. us. And to do so prayerfully is always going to be pleasing. He is not pleased with sacrifices, but humble and contrite heart.
0: Amen. Guys, thanks for sticking with us. I know this is a long one. We have so much we want to say and so many things. We will be back with more about dating. We're going to take a couple of episodes to really hash out all the different parts that um, we feel really passionate about. But thank you for listening. Thank you for being with us. We hope this enriches you. We hope this helps you. Please engage us on social media. We would love to hear from you. Um, Ask us questions. We'll be happy to address them in the podcast. Um, And God bless you and be with you. And... We'll hear from you next time.